Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Well, we are uh, continuing in our uh, second Samuel study here, and that's been to help me uh, teach tonight. So excited about that. And um, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and go there in your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 6, as we continue to kind of look through the life of David. Um, And this is a very interesting chapter uh, that we're going to be looking at tonight. We'll get there in just a minute. But it is our third session as well in um, in, the, in our study here. And we've already seen how David was um, honoring uh, to God in the way that he treated Saul, the way that he um, had genuine um, lamentation and genuine sorrow over the death of Saul and the respect that he had for him. Even though Saul was an enemy, Saul was always trying to kill him. And so we've, uh, but in, in David's reaction to Saul, he uh, was honoring to God. How he handled the Amalekite as well. We've seen him take on the role of king in humility uh, and, and also how he uh, first became the king in Judah and then later all of Israel. We looked at a little bit of that last night uh, or last Sunday night, I mean, with Pastor Jason and just how uh, all of Israel came together and, and finally what God had told him and what had happened was that he became the king of all of the nation and moving the capital to Jerusalem so that that was the center of political activity uh, and capturing that city. And now tonight we'll be looking at how David is going to also make Jerusalem the center of religious uh, activity and religious worship uh, for the Jewish people as well. Um, And so we're going to look at that uh, and see how worship is also an important part of our life and how it's, uh, as Christians, uh, how we are told uh, from God's Word and and the things that we're told and who the Lord is. Uh, We're we're told to worship God for who He is, for for what He has done for us, uh, for how He has saved us in so many other ways. Uh, So we worship Him corporately. Of course, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, these are all times of worship. Um, there's other things, Bible studies that happen during the week at various times, uh, all those things, uh, but also privately, hopefully that's happening as well if you're having private time at home or you're reading God's Word for yourself, or you're going through your Bible study work in preparation for your class time or different things of that nature as well, uh, private worship, praying at home, uh, of course, for uh, different individuals, those kind of things uh, privately as well. So we're called in those ways, and I always like to um, point out that, you know, many, many years ago, uh, the word worship actually had a T-H in it. So like W-O-R-T-H-S-H-I-P. So you would have said worship. And that's really what worship is. You know, we're, we're talking about demonstrating through our actions the worth of God in our life, the value of who he is, and demonstrating the value and, and the importance of God in our life in the way that we react. And so when we come together corporately and we sing and we pray, we read scripture, we place our tithe and offering, you know, uh, we teach Sunday school, we participate in Sunday school, we hear the preaching of God's word, all of those things really are... Uh, worship. 
Because what we're doing is we're saying, you are worthy of what I'm doing right now. Yeah. You are worthy of me giving my attention to you while the preaching is going on. You are worthy of me singing. And some would say, well, I can't really sing at all. And, and that's okay because God's not interested in how well you can sing, but he's interested in your heart while the singing is going on. Yeah. You know, and so there is, that's a demonstration. And when you support, like you place your tithe and offering, you support a ministry, or you come and sew a dress, or you uh, bring some stuff in to put into an OCC box. Or I mean, there's so many things, and if I keep going, I could say it all, but, and I don't want to leave anything out. But all of those things are forms of worship because we're saying, God, you are worthy, uh, and I want to demonstrate that in my actions towards you to show that. And so that is why the word worth uh, is tied in so much with worship. But it all begins with the heart, really. In order to, uh, to show true worship or to have the proper type of worship, our heart attitude has to be in it. You know, it's like the old uh, uh, thing I used to tell kids when I was teaching is that, you know, if you say, if your parents said to you or somebody said, hey, go take out the trash, and you said, all right, fine, and you took the trash out, well, you were obedient in taking the trash out, but you didn't have the right heart attitude at the moment. Does that make sense? And so our heart attitude is very important. Uh, and we're going to see that tonight. Three different people in our, in our chapter tonight who had three different uh, hearts or three different focuses of their heart and how they worshiped and, and what, what came from that. Uh, but our hearts are open before the Lord. He sees all those things. And so he knows that if we approach with the wrong attitude, we have unconfessed sin in our life, uh, we, won't be able to approach, we won't be able to worship God correctly. If we don't understand who God is, that's part of it too. I have this sticker on the back of my computer and it says, theology matters. And theology does matter because who you think God is, is going to actually determine how you worship him. Uh, and so if you don't understand who God reveals himself to be from his word and have a clear understanding of that, if your theology is wrong, then your worship will also be wrong. We kind of touch on that a little bit tonight too. Uh, with one of our one of the players in the chapter tonight, so it's important to understand those things. And so um, I know I, the books were out of print, so I couldn't get these books for you. Uh, the cover there you can see in the in the title slide, but I am going to stray a little off of that. It, it, you wouldn't know unless like Ben, I gave Ben <laughs> the stuff this week, so he kind of knows. But and I won't tell. Uh, oh. Don't tell anybody. I already did. But yeah, but no, but true worship, true worship, uh, and, and how it how it. Um, is proper before the Lord and how we approach him in worship. Uh, so we're there in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we'll just read, I'll have you read, uh, you know, just the verses that go with each point. So okay. we will read the entire chapter, but we're going to go slightly out of order of the chapter because I want to hit one of the first guy is Uzzah, and then we'll go to the end and see Michal, David's wife, and then we'll go back to kind of the middle of chapter 6 and see David's response in all of this. So let's begin reading there, Ben, 6 verses 1 through 10. Okay. And it says, David again assembled all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his troops set out to bring the ark of, of God from Baal, Judah. The ark is called by the name, the name of Yahweh of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. They set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart and brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of fir wood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. 
When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence, and he died there next to the ark of God. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, so he named the place an outburst against Uzzah as it is to this day. Uh, David feared the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So he was not willing to move the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. All right, good. So thank you for reading that. And so here is kind of, again, uh, a reminder of the background there, uh, that David had all that power solidified there and, and, and the, uh, now wants to make the center of worship Jerusalem as well uh, after making those alliances we talked about last Sunday night. Uh, and so he needs to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem in order for the center of worship to be there because the Ark of the Covenant is the presence of the Lord. Now, uh, if you recall, and you could read it later on, beginning in 1 Samuel chapters 4 through 7, you kind of find out, and uh, again, what happened to the Ark. They went out, they took it uh, uh, as a token, they used it wrongly. Uh, whenever Samuel was still alive and um, Eli, the high priest and different ones, and they took it out kind of as a token rather than the proper use of it. Uh, and the Philistines captured it and they brought it back to their capital and different places. And, you know, they had a lot of trouble with it. Their, their false god was falling down in front of it. And the next day it was falling down in front and the hands were cut off. I mean, it was, they had all kind of problems with it. And they said, we don't want this thing anymore. Get it out of here. You know, and so they uh, took it back to Abinadab's house, and that's where it had been basically for the 20 years that David was, all these things we've talked about since chapter 7 and in 1 Samuel and all the way to here. For all those 20 years, it was sitting there. Uh, and so that's, that is uh, part of it there is David's desire to bring the ark to Jerusalem. But also, the house of Abinadab was actually right over the border from the Philistines. And David last week had defeated them, you know, so they were subdued and they were defeated. They had been soundly beaten by him. Uh, but there was probably still a little bit of fear that they might try to come back and uh, take the ark again. Because one detail that was in 2 Samuel chapter 5 was that the Philistines were so afraid of the army of David and everything that had happened, they ran away, left all their false gods there. And what did David's army do? They destroyed all the idols. You can read that just from last week's chapter 5. And so they were like, well, we don't want, we don't want the Philistines to come and take this either. So we have all this thing. We have this military showing, 30,000 people, huge procession and music. I mean, think about a, you know, a 4th of July parade or some other kind of thing like that. Just huge procession of people. Uh, and, and all the people there, there were cho chosen people, choice people from Israel. It says there in verse number 1 of chapter 6 that all went down with David along with his army. Uh, and so there was a, a, a big processional that was uh, put there. And, and I hope you noticed this too. It said the people put the ark on a new cart. On a new cart. Uh, but that's not how the ark of covenant is designed to be carried. That's not the way that it was. I actually have, here I'm going to show you this. I found a picture. There you go. I know you've seen pictures before and nobody really knows exactly what it looks like, but this is based on the Bible's description of it, just one particular artist's rendition of it. So it's made to be carried as a burden on the Levite shoulders and specifically uh, the, uh, a, a certain family, Koath's family, a specific group of Levites even that God had made for them. And so you can see there the rings that these bars are going through. And they would carry it on their shoulders, and you see the cherubim on top. And so in verse number two, when it says the Lord's presence dwelt between the cherubims, like literally that's what it was. Mm -hmm. 
It's the reason why it was in the innermost part of the tabernacle. It's the reason why the high priest could go only once a year and why he had to make atonement for himself and then atonement for the whole people. He had to do all those things because literally the presence of the Lord dwelt between the two cherubim. They're covering the holiness of God. Uh, but it was carried away by the Philistines on a cart. But God was not going to allow his people uh, to do that. And so then we see the cart start to rock a little bit, go back and forth. And Uzzah says, I don't want this thing to fall off. He puts his hand up and keeps it from going. Uh, and then Uzzah dies. Uzzah dies, yeah. you know. And so that's a problem at first if you don't understand a few things. And that's what we want to take a, just a minute here and look at. There's a few things, okay? First of all, as I said, the ark is where the Lord dwelt. And that's what the Bible tells us too, between the cherubims. The presence of the Lord dwelt between the two cherubims. Uh, and so we see also uh, in verse number two that it was called the Lord of hosts. The name, the Lord of the host, the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of hosts. Now, that is that Hebrew name that we see sometimes where it just says Y-H-W-H or Yahweh spelled out. Uh, it's the sacred, holy covenant name of God mm -hmm. that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. And the reality is we say Yahweh, uh, but, but because the Jewish people were so protective of God's name, they would not pronounce it and they would not add the Hebrew vowels. That's why we just see YHWH. They would not put the Hebrew vowels in there when they wrote it because they were so reverent of God's name. And so we don't actually know how to pronounce it because there's no vowels present. So we have added vowels and different things based on what you know, people yeah. think it might have been. Um, the, other, the other English version of it would be Jehovah. So sometimes you see that Yahweh, Jehovah. But anyway, they had a, they had a high respect for it. But that's the name. That means when it says the Lord of hosts right there. And that is what was given to him literally there. So it's not just a piece of furniture. This is not just your chest of drawers that you put your clothes in when you're not wearing them. Okay. This is, this is a sacred and holy thing that is set apart for that. Also, the next thing, second, the presence of the Lord is different in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament. Nowadays, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the final sacrifice that he made for us on Calvary, the Holy Spirit dwells within the heart of the believer because he has made a way for that. But in the Old Testament, that was not the case. There was a continual offering and a continual sacrifice for sin that had to be made. Uh, and so the way that God dwelt with his people was in the ark or through the ark or being between the cherubim there. So God is literally dwelling in this place. This is, this is touching this thing is putting your hand out uh, towards God in a sinful state. And so he said, well, Uzzah died. Well, Uzzah was not the right person to carry it and he did not do what was right either. Third, God had told them how to move the ark way back in the law. He told Moses how to do it. This is how you're supposed to move it. These uh, priests have to have it and it goes on their shoulders and you use these uh, rods that are covered in gold and it goes through the, it's, it was made with those loops so that the rod would go through it and they could carry it that way. And it's a very important thing. And the sons of Koath, they were given the honor of doing it. So it wasn't supposed to be carried by just anybody. And it wasn't even supposed to be carried by just any Levites. There was a specific family that was chosen as well. Uh, and so it couldn't be touched. It was definitely not supposed to be put on a cart. Now, I do want, I'm going to mention this here real quick before we go. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. That's okay. It, it says new cart. Yeah. I don't think that anybody in this procession was completely 100% thoughtless. Now, they didn't do what they should have done. What is David's 
uh, uh, habit been so far that we've seen in, in 2 Samuel? What has he done every time so far before he takes a step out and does something else? What, is he, what has he done? He's always talked to God. That's exactly right. If you go back to, to, to chapter number two, he, don't even, he won't even leave where he's at in the Philistine territory at Ziklag. He won't even leave that city until he knows if it's okay to go back to Judah. And he won't even go back to Judah until God says, not only can you go to Judah, but go to Hebron. And then also last week, what am I going to do, God? How am I going to defeat the Philistines? And God says, wait till you hear the sound of the rushing in the mulberry trees. You know, we, that was, like every time that's been his thing. And so here there wasn't any indication in chapter six anyway where he stopped to ask God anything. He said, we're going to go get the ark and bring it back. Now, I think he was trying to be respectful. I don't think anyone had, but they didn't consult God. And they tried to do something with their human thought process only without seeking the Lord's guidance and help. And that's a problem. That's a really big problem. And so Uzzah uh, dies as a result of touching the ark of God. And, and I know it says David is angry. Yeah. You know, but I don't think David was angry at God. And a lot of commentaries that I read said the same thing. David's not angry at God. That would have, that would have been wrong for him. David was upset that Uzzah uh, had felt like just so casual about things. I can, I'll just put my hand up there and stop it from falling off. Like Uzzah's attitude was the problem. The way that he approached the ark. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the first point to go back to what we're talking here. Uzzah is the casual worshiper. He's the casual worshiper. There's three worshipers. There's two worship services in this chapter. Uzzah was the casual worshiper. And I don't mean casual like the way that he was dressed or whatever. I mean, he was, his familiarity and his proximity to the ark for 20 years, being in his father Abinadab's house, had caused him to uh, forget about the holiness and the reverence that the ark had. It had caused him to be uh, less, uh, for, uh, not to be, his attitude was no longer proper before God uh, because of his proximity to it. But he, they had good intentions. Uh, but good intentions are not what is necessary here, what is needed here. It is consulting God and finding out uh, what he says. He began to think about the ark in human terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was not in, in mind, but that's, a, that's another thing as well. Yes, uh, that David would have been angry at his own carelessness as well. Yep, you ever done, I mean, we've all done that, right? Yeah. <laughs> you get mad at yourself because you didn't think through something very well. And that's, that's also very true, yeah. And I think that's important because he did. And that's not in this chapter. If you want to read more about how David did, and he will. I mean, later in this chapter, he does bring it in Jerusalem. But... The why and the how behind it is actually in uh, 1 Chronicles, um, 1 Chronicles uh, 13, 14, 15, those chapters of 1 Chronicles. You can go and read that and see what David did. Because he does do it the right way the second time. He does do it the right way the second time. But you get that story in Chronicles. Um, but yes, so that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Because again, David's not mad at God. He's probably mad at himself, no doubt. Probably also mad at Uzzah's. Uh, response as well. Okay, so he began to think of God and think of the ark in human terms. Here's a piece of furniture. We're moving it. We're trying to get it back to where it's supposed to go, you know, casual. Now, here's, here's the point for this, because us is the casual worshiper. We, as human beings, we have a tendency to approach God in the same way sometimes if we're not careful, in a casual manner. 
forgetting about the reverence that we should have for God, forgetting about the holiness of who God is. And if we're not careful, we can show up at church in the morning or on the Wednesday night or whatever, and our attitude be casual before the Lord as well. And that's, and that's kind of the point, I think, from this first worshiper here, Uzzah, okay? Uh, and that happens, I think, because we have so much freedom. We have so much proximity to Christianity. We live in the Bible Belt now, and everyone's got multiple Bibles in their home. And that doesn't mean that you lose your uh, reverence for God, but it does, I think, it can contribute to each and every one of us having a temptation or having a possibility where we lose our reverence and respect and understanding of who God is. I love Isaiah 40, 25. I'm sorry, I'm talking. You can jump in here. Whenever well, you no, I was, gonna, I was thinking the same thing about the, the practical application of what Uzzah, how he approached the ark mm. compared to us today. We have a church on every corner. Yeah. We've got multiple Bibles in our homes. We've got mm. all these things. So it is really, it's almost a trap, if you will, to get complacent in worship. Yeah. And I heard this saying, and it said that, um, and, and just, just trying to understand this, it said, the general may come to the private and ask him about his life, his personal life, his family, and all those things. But the private better never forget that he's always talking to a general. Yeah. And that's it, when God wants to know about us and be in a personal relationship, an intimate relationship, but he is God, he is holy, he is mm-hmm. sovereign. And um, I think that it's easy for that to creep in if we're not not very careful and guarded, be Mm -hmm. um, deliberate about our worship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good because, you know, the word routine can come to mind like, oh, this is what I do every Sunday. This is what I do at this time. And this is what I do at this day. Like it just becomes and we lose that reverence. Isaiah 40, 25. I love this verse. To whom then will you liken me or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? The holiness of God is, I mean, he is to be approached with reverence and awe. And I think about this all the time. Like we can sit back and we can say, like in respect to this verse, who, 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 who will you compare me or who, who will be my, who shall be, I be equal? We can sit back and we say, okay, well, there's trees. Mm-hmm. There's pine trees and there's hardwood trees. Okay, but there's also maple and there's oak. I mean, there's specific ones. There's loblolly pine and longleaf. I mean, there's different kinds and we can compare the bark and the leaves and the shape and th- what is it used for? You know, some are good for furniture, some are good for whatever. You know what I'm saying? Who can you compare the Lord to? The Lord and, and, and holy not only is who he is, but it's set apart. And he is high and he is lifted up and he is... Uh, unequal to all those things. And so we have got to always keep in our minds the reverence and the fear of God and who he is when we come and approach him in worship. And I think that's the, that was the thing with, with Uzzah, that he just became too casual, too comfortable uh, in the wrong way and, and approached God in a irreverent manner, placing his hand where it didn't belong out there on the actual thing. Empty and cold worship. So remembering those things, first of all. So out of this first part here, we see that Uzzah was the casual worshiper, which can happen to us as well if we're not careful. We need to remember the holiness of God and and not allow that to to breed uh, contempt in our worship. But also at the end now, go over to uh, verse number, well, we'll start in verse 16 and then read verses 20 to 23 because there's another player in chapter 6, and that's Michal, who was David's first wife. Go ahead and read first verse 16, please, and then we'll jump to verse 20. Okay, verse 16 says, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter Michael 
looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. All right. And then verse 20. Um, verse 20 says, <clears throat> When David returned home to bless his household, Saul's daughter Michael came out to meet him. How the king of Israel honored himself today, she said. He exposed himself today in the sight of the slave girls of his subjects like a vulgar person would expose himself. Yeah, keep, yeah I'm sorry, keep hey, going. Yeah. All right, 323? Yeah, 2 to 23, yeah. Uh, David replied to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me over your father and his whole family to appoint me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord and I will humble myself even more and humili humiliate myself. I will be honored by the slave girls you spoke about. And Saul's daughter, Michael, had no child to the day of her death. All right, so we did skip the middle part. I did it intentionally, but we did skip the middle part because uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. That's David's response in worship. But um, so in Chronicles, like I said, 1 Chronicles 13, 14, 15, you find out, okay, David goes and consults the Lord, uh, finds the right way to do it, gets the priests. Uh, the person in, back in uh, verse number 10, Obed-Edom, uh, what is also told to you in First Chronicles is that Obed-Edom is a Levite of the sons of Koath. So, so David has found the right place for the ark to be, and there's a three-month gap between the time that he leaves the ark at Obed-Edom's house and whenever this uh, next procession begins. So that's all kind of in the middle. And he does, during that three months, go and, and okay, this is how the ark's supposed yeah. to be moved. We need to do it the right way. We're going to get the Levites. We're going to sanctify ourselves. We'll get to all that in just a minute. Right now, this is the end of it. They finally made it to Jerusalem. And here is Michael. Uh, uh, and that's uh, the, the wife that was Saul's daughter. She was given to David because he slew Goliath uh, all the way back there in, in uh, chapter 16, chapter 17, that area of 1 Samuel. And for whatever reason, we're told in verse 16 that she was not part of the procession. Instead, she was in her window looking out from the palace at what was going on down below her. Okay, now... I will make one quick note, and that is we're not told that necessarily that any of the other wives of David were out there, but we are specifically concentrating on her because it was said she's not part of it. Mm -hmm. She's not part of it. And not only is that, she's looking down on David with uh, despisement in her heart. And then uh, in verse number 20, you know, when she says, "How you know, oh, look at the king today. I, I just, I read that what she says with such a sarcastic yeah. tone because I think that's what it was. A very sarcastic tone in her voice towards the king. A very uh, hateful tone of voice toward the king. You know, um, so Michal is the self-centered worshiper. That's what I've kind of labeled her as anyway. The self-centered worshiper. Okay. Uh, she's up there watching everything. Doesn't come out uh, and see everything. And she sees David and, and she's embarrassed maybe. Because David's uh, part of the procession and he's dancing and the thing. We'll get to that in just a minute as well. Uh, or she is very prideful and conceited. Probably both at the same time herself. Uh, and so she despises David in her heart. And then she addresses him in that way. Now, this, this is a, a, a temptation as well for us. Here's Michael. Think about it for a minute. She is the daughter of a king. She is the queen. She is married to the king. All right. It is quite possible that her uh, worldly position and her own uh, pride put her, in a, put her in a place where she said, well, that, that's beneath me. Mm -hmm. yeah. And she was more concerned about the way that she looked than what she was concerned about how God saw her. 
She had a fear of man and not a fear of the Lord, in other words. I think that's a, I think that's a fair assessment of what's going on here uh, in that way. And so she is there uh, uh, talking down to him and talking bad to him and, and is very embarrassed, to, so to speak, of those things. Um, and David says, no, no, I've done this thing before the Lord. I, I, I have uh, completely and done what was right. Uh, and not only does he say, I've done what's right, later on in those same verses towards the end, he says, hey, I would even make myself more humble, more humility, more abasement to myself because he wants, that's a focus that he has that God should have the glory and honor, not me. Uh, and so she, is, she uh, brings that up and she also accuses him of being uncovered. Uh, if you're, uh, what, let's see, what, what does it say in the King James? Again, I think it says uncovered. Uh, what did yours say again? Uh, bearing himself. I'm looking at that. I didn't turn the page. Be bearing himself, okay. Yeah. Uh, shamelessly uncovereth himself. Now, I want to address this for just a minute here because this was in the book and I think it's important for us. Uh, David was dressed as a priest. So there's two things that this uncovered actually means, okay. It doesn't mean what it sounds like it means. Okay. <laughs> uh, the priestly garments were an underclothing type garment. And then a linen ephod, which it said, if we're, we're, when we get there in a minute, we'll read that, that there's a linen ephod. And then there's like this outer cloak type thing, okay? So in all likelihood, it means two things. One, so that David could be more free in his dancing, probably took just the outer cloak off, okay? He's not up there with no clothes on at all. So don't let anybody tell you that. That's not the proper interpretation of these verses. He's not up there completely unclothed. He probably took the outer clothing off but still had the linen ephod on and the undergarments as well. Okay, so he is clothed. Okay, uh, so he took that off. So that's one thought, unclothed. He took the outer thing off. Well, the other thought is this. David didn't come into the city that day dressed as a king. Yeah. And going back to my call and her, her thought process, no doubt, of, of uncovering himself and becoming base and not wearing kingly robes, not dressed like royalty, not being at the front of the procession and, you know, look at me and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and that wasn't David's heart. David's heart was the Lord receives glory and honor. And so uh, David did not do what some other people would have done. We've already seen that in his life. He does not act in the same way that other people would act in these situations. He has a heart after God. And so he has put aside his kingly robes. He's put aside his own clothing in order to take on the clothing of a priest and to be uh, basically hiding in plain sight. You know what I mean? If you're all wearing the same thing, no one is standing out as different than the others. You know? Uh, and so because David doesn't want himself to be the attention, it wants God to have the attention uh, there. All right. And so that, that again, that's another temptation yeah. uh, that we have as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I agree. I think that, um, you know, the most important thing here is, is that David's heart was right before the Lord. Mm -hmm. And um, when we come into worship, it's important for us as well. And, and um, I think that in a very materialistic world that we live in, and going back to an earlier point, where worshiping the true God, the true way, there's so many distortions today and, mm -hmm. and things that can take over. But really, humbling yourself before the Lord and being led in the Spirit in your worship mm -hmm. um, is, is so vitally important here. And David kind of leads the way and shows us how to do that. That's right. That's exactly right. That's good. Yeah. And that's, that's the idea there. And Michael is struck with barrenness. Uh, from that time forward. And I want to also really quickly just throw this in here uh, because we don't want to take this verse out of context either. This is a specific punishment for a specific sin, okay? 
this is not something that can be applied to lots of different people. Like you're not having kids, you must be doing something wrong. No, 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 no. That is not what the Bible says here. My call had a specific sin. She had a specific punishment for that sin. And that was for that she would not have children. So uh, that, that is important. I want to throw that in real quick too. Um, but like we said there, you know, it is. It is a temptation in worship that we don't obey God in our worship, okay? We may be like Michael. We're worried about what other people think of us. Yeah. We're worried, we're concerned, maybe we feel like we have an image that we're supposed to keep up or an appearance that we're supposed to keep up about ourselves. Um, or sometimes the temptation could be to have a, a, like a Burger King worship, right? What's Burger King's slogan? Have it your way, right? <laughs> have it your way. Okay? Uh, and we've already seen from the first 10 verses that it's not have it your way, it's have it God's way. Yeah. Okay. And so we treat, we treat worship like we treat Burger King, right? Uh, and, and so that, that's not the way that we worship God. David was right before the Lord. Uh, and that's another important point to go back with, with the being uncovered. There's nothing else that David, David didn't violate some other part of scripture in his worship. So saying, oh, I did it before the Lord wasn't his excuse for why he behaved a certain way. It was because he really did do it before the Lord. You know, we can't just say, well, I was worshiping God in this way so because it was before the Lord and he knows my... Well, no, David's heart was pure because whatever David was doing, it didn't violate any other part of Scripture. And that's an important point as well uh, to look at as well uh, when we think about this. And so it's before the Lord. It's not a blanket statement to allow anything in worship yeah. because God has prescribed a proper way to be worshiped. He has demonstrated that there is a way to do that. Uh, and so it did not violate other scripture in worship. But my call was the one that said, I'm more concerned about what people think about me. I'm more concerned about having worship the way that I want it. You know, it's the right temperature and there's the right amount of padding in the pew. And it's right. Everything is right the way that I want it to be yeah. before I can worship God. And that's the wrong attitude as well. She's the self-centered worshiper. She's got her focus on herself rather than on God. Okay. And then finally tonight, we'll go back and read those verses that we skipped over. Um, Back to verse number 11, 2 Samuel, because David is the true worshiper. Uzzah was the casual worshiper. Michal was the self-centered worshiper, but David is the true worshiper. So if you'll read verses 11 through 19, please. Okay. It says, The ark of the Lord remained in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family. It was reported to King David, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and had the ark of God brought up from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. When those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf. David was dancing with all of his might before the Lord wearing a linen ephod. He and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of a ram's horn. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter Michael uh, looked down from her window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent David had set up for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of Yahweh of hosts. Then he distributed a loaf of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake to each one in the entire Israelite community both men and women. Then all the people left, each to his own home. All right, good. So then we see this procession here that takes place. This is the second time that David has brought the ark up 
uh, towards Jerusalem, and now it makes it all the way there. Uh, he was afraid. He had, a, he had a, the fear. He, he was afraid there, and he wasn't sure what to do, and went back and, and inquired. So it was there. Nacon's threshing floor, Nacon's threshing floor was there where it happened. Obed-Edom, like we said, that's, uh, you see his name listed in First Chronicles chapter 26 as being a son of Koath. Uh, so he was the right person. He had the ark at the right time. He was blessed for that for three months. And I think during that three months, David realized, okay, there's nothing to be afraid of as long as we do it God's way. So we have yeah. to have the proper fear and understanding about that. So he still has the desire. Yeah. We're going to bring the ark back, but I need to do it the right way. And so we have the timeline in 2 Samuel, three months. And then during that three months, the details are found in 1 Chronicles uh, 15. He did what he should have done the first time. He consulted God. He consulted God about what to do. Um, so I do encourage you to read that later on. But uh, you go, go to, go to God's word. Read how to properly move the ark and then, and then make arrangements to do so. All right. Um, but anyway, but he does notice also that he stops. He starts walking. They go six paces and they stop and make a sacrifice right away. The very first. They don't even get that far and they're already sacrificing. Because David had a desire to worship God rightly. And David had a desire to do things the right way this time. And so this uh, sacrifice offering would have been like an atonement offering. Like, please forgive me for doing what was wrong the first time. Offering. He didn't even make it six paces. But he wanted to do that because he has a heart to worship God correctly. Um, also in First Chronicles 15, you'll notice that in here it says, put it in the tent that he had made and different things. David had constructed a tabernacle and a place for the ark to go once it got to Jerusalem. You know, he couldn't build the temple, but he did have the, 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 the tabernacle there uh, for, um, for the ark of the Lord to be in. So he's doing things the right way, sets it in place. And then we have all of Israel worshiping together again. And that's an important point too. Not only in verse number one, but here again, we see all of Israel coming out that there's unity in worship. One of the things that Pastor Jason mentioned on, on Wednesday night in, in the study of Psalm 122 was that same idea of our unity in worship. And that's what we see here as well in chapter six, that the whole nation comes out, representatives from everybody, maybe not every single person, but representatives of all the tribes, representatives of all the people were there uh, and they were in unity, worshiping God together uh, and, and offering those things. And he offers three different types of sacrifices. Okay, so it says there the, uh, the first one they, was an atonement sacrifice, a consecration uh, sacrifice, a longing for fellowship. Uh, David Guzik talks about those things. Uh, again, desiring God's presence and desiring his uh, uh, blessing on what was happening there. And, and that's, the, that's the difference too. You know, again, David in, chapter, in the first part, verses 1 through 10, had the right intentions and, and did all things, but he did it in his own power yeah. rather than, you know, like sometimes we do that, don't we? Sometimes we make a plan about things in our life and then we just say, okay, well, here, here's the plan, God, just bless it. And so we should start by going to God and saying, hey, how, how should we do this, Lord? What, what is the right way for us to go about this thing? Uh, and so that was important as well uh, for that. But then he has the burnt offerings, the atonement for sin. Uh, peace offerings or fellowship offerings, I think is what it said in your version there. Yeah. Uh, fellowship offerings. Those are things that are used to install something for the Lord. Okay, that we're setting it apart as holy and being for the use of God. And so uh, something we may compare it to, and we're coming up on one here pretty soon, is like an ordination service. You, you have an ordination service for pastors. You have an ordination service for deacons, which is what's coming up soon here. Exciting time for our church. Uh, but it's dedicating to set apart for God. 
and to have a special place or a use in a specific office or a specific thing uh, for it to be used by God, all right? So that'd be kind of similar to that. Now, I want to say this quickly too. Individuals within a church may never be pastors, and individuals within a church may never be deacons. Uh, But that doesn't mean that the ministry that you're involved in or your action within the church is not an act of worship or something that is also can be prayed about and set aside as an act of worship towards God. So you might be someone who sews a dress or does OCC or does whatever within the church or any of the ministries of the church and you're not a deacon and you're not a pastor. You teach Sunday school, but you're not a deacon, you're not a pastor. But what you do set apart for God as well. It's a, spe- it's a ministry thing as well. You pray about that and you give as of the, you know, unto the Lord in those things as well. So it, 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 is, it is something that, yes, there is a specific ordination service for specific offices in the church, but there's also the idea that, hey, your act of worship and your ministry and the things that God has led you to do is also set apart for God in that same way. Um, so there's nobody that can't do something for the Lord with the right heart in the right way. Um, and so David recognized that, and he had to set himself apart as well for yeah. that. And I'll tell you, just to add to that, I think that it's so, it's so beautiful when you see the tapestry of what this, the Spirit, the gifts that the Spirit gives like a church congregation and the different hearts of people and gifts that they use when they're all in unison for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I cannot, I'm not a singer. I don't have a voice to sing. I, I kind of wish I do, did, but that's one thing <laughs> I can't do. But I so admire those that come. And you have that contact blessing for them using their gift. It mm-hmm. blesses you in return. Mm-hmm. And, but that's just one example of yeah. the acts of service and, and just all those things that go together. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Yeah, yeah, and that's a very important thing to, to keep in mind, too, that, that we are. We're get, you know, the, God gives us different giftings, yeah. and we use those. We set that apart for him uh, in, in that way and use it for his glory. Um, and so, yeah, we see that here. So David had the right heart, and he's demonstrating that through his actions. His worship was the correct worship because his heart was right with God. So all of the different things he did, there were, four, it's, there were uh, 14, I think is what it said, yeah. uh, in some of the commentaries, 14 different total sacrifices offered that day of, of these kinds, atonements and fellowship and peace offerings and things, all at different points in time during the day. And then David continues the unity. Because he gives out to all these people bread and raisin cakes and and dates and different things like that. These are foods that would have been enjoyed by upper class people in that time period. But he gives it to everybody. Everybody receives the blessing. Everybody has the fellowship together. And everybody receives what is given out in the same way. And that's that again is what happens in true worship and in true things. Is that you know there's not these people over here and this, but everyone in unity receiving the blessing for true heart worship before the Lord. Uh, and so he continues that unity as well. He doesn't give better food to one people and less food to others. Everybody gets the same blessing right there. And I will come back one more time uh, to the dancing because we see the dancing here. And I wanted to address specifically the, the uncovering thing earlier with Michael and her accusation. But um, understanding the dancing here is, first of all, probably a Jewish cultural dance performed with a group of priests. Mm-hmm. So David is dancing not only dressed as a priest and not as a king, but he's also dressed the same way all the other priests are. And he's also doing some kind of group dance. Maybe you've seen a movie where people dance as one group and they're all doing the same motions. You know what I mean? 
Because um, another thing to keep in mind, again, that is in line with scripture and is not uh, a wrong interpretation is that David's not out there, you know, whirling and jiving around, woo, you know, all over the place in front of everybody. Because what would that have done again? It would have called attention to himself. Okay, uh, most likely, and a lot of the commentaries I read said the same thing, you know, that most likely what David is doing is some type of uh, traditional type of dance worship that all of these people are performing together as a group. So again, he's still not even standing out uh, from the rest of the crowd. Uh, and that's, that's important, okay, uh, to, 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 to be as well, because we don't want to make either mistake. We don't want to approach God so casually uh, that we're actually in irreverence like Uzzah did. Our heart is just, we've become too familiar, so to speak, with everything, with casual. We also don't want to approach with Michael's mistake in, in, in thinking that no emotion at all is the right way. You know, we're, we're sometimes in Baptist churches, we're very much that way, you know, like no emotion at all, you know. Uh, and and, and there, is, there is two extremes. And, you know, you could be so emotional that you're actually just drawing attention to yourself. But you could also be so stoic and unemotional yeah. that, you know, it's, it, it's just cold and formalistic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and sometimes uh, when, when singing is happening or when worship is going on, Bible being read, something like that, a proper emotional response is the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes you're singing along and man, just the reality of what you're saying just brings tears to your eyes, you know. Sometimes you're reading a scripture and you get to a certain point and it's just like, man, what, what amazing thing that Jesus did for me. And I'm reading about it here in these scriptures or what how incredible God is and who he is and it just the emotion overwhelms us and so there are times where a proper emotional response is okay uh, we don't want to be too far one way or the other but we want to understand that my call was wrong and her focusing on herself and Ezra was wrong for being too casual so proper way of worship there and, and remembering the holiness of God and we come before him we have opportunities to do that and follow in the way that he's prescribed us to do. And, and one thing, just kind of leave a thought here, and if you have a closing thought as well, that our worship really should be 24-7, 365. Okay? In other words, uh, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that whatever you do, do it all to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians, whatever you do, whether, you eat, whether therefore you eat or whether you drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the Lord. All of it is for the glory of God. Our lives are to reflect the glory and to be glorifying to God. And so is it possible to be worshipful in your grocery shopping? Yes, it is. How are you treating the other people in the store around you? You know, how are you treating the cashier uh, there, you know, or how are you treating the machine whenever it, <laughs> beep, beep, you know, because <laughs> machines don't always work out right. I will tell you, I'll tell you this real quick. I'll make it quick. When you go to Food Line and they have all the self-checkouts, the very first one on the right-hand side right there, I don't use it because it doesn't like my debit card. It oh. never takes my debit Amen. card. And so if somebody is behind me and that one opens up, you know what I do? You can go right ahead. <laughs> and I wait for a different one to open up. I do it. I do it because it never, no matter what I do with my, with my card, it won't. It just, I just, so instead of... Hey, I, I don't use it. I don't use it. I don't use it. Okay. Anyway, but yeah, so, but, um, but, but how are we doing it? How is our work? How is our uh, daily life? Is it glorifying to God? Is it pointing to God? Because when it is, it's an act of worship because we're showing God you're worthy of, of me responding properly in life situations. You're worthy that your word uh, has sunk into my heart and changed me and made me a new person. And now you're worthy of me demonstrating that outwardly by the way that I 
engage outside of the walls of the church. Worship's not just the first half of the service where we sing or play drums, which we're grateful for. Uh, it's not just the, you know, it's, that's not, it's not the, it, the whole thing is worship. That's and right. then outside that's of the right. walls is worship as well when we do it for glory of God. Any final thought there? The only thing that came to mind was that, um, you know, almost the, the reverse side of yielding and leaning into worship is you can actually quench the spirit when mm -hmm. he wants to move or wants you to move, you can quench the spirit. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and that's being in a certain environment or, you know, the thought of a certain order of services that I have to act a certain way. Yeah. Really, it's just being open to how the spirit moves. And right. God's not one of chaos. He doesn't want us breaking furniture and doing all kinds of things right. like that. But, mm. but it is to be open and be led by the spirit and bring him honor and glory because it is our, our worship for right. others. And people are watching. Mm. You know, they're, they're in that situation, I had that same uh, checkout last night, as a matter of fact, and the lady <laughs> had to come help me. But I was sitting there going, why is this thing not working? And then I started thinking, well, nobody's trained me how to use any of this stuff either. And I'm up here trying to figure it yeah. out. But she came and helped and all that. But there was we'd seen other folks in that store, and they could have been watching my reaction as mm -hmm. an example. Um, not yeah. that they were, but um, just yielding to the Spirit and, mm -hmm. and let, allowing Him to lead. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Any thoughts that you all had as we were going through uh, our study tonight of Chapter Six?